though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near. And I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, then whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I Let go 
above me He never let go of me This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. What a wonderful evening, and how glad I am to be here. And I trust the same is true for you. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you. And I hope and pray that the music and the message will be a blessing. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? Tonight we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thought. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided, though the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing, things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is God's word, and it is for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for the opportunity we have of being here tonight together. We ask, oh God, that you would speak to me and speak to someone else through me, and the praise and the glory will always be yours. It's in your name. Amen. A Christian writer tells of his teaching experience. I shall not forget some years ago when I was teaching at a boys' school. I had just completed a rather involved discussion of the doctrine of the cross. At that point, a young lad got up, and he said something like this, Sir, I see what you're talking about, and I understand that. But so what? Now, we've heard about the cross all our lives. We know it has something to do with life and death, hate and love, victory and defeat. We know that. We've even formed a mental picture of a man dying out on a hillside. And it was helped by Mel Gibson's picture when he talked about the passion. That enhances our picture. But so what? So what? The Apostle Paul said, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message refers to the story of the self-sacrifice of a man worshipped by believers as the Son of God. Foolishness to those who are perishing. Disbelievers could not believe that the divine could be taken over by human and willful humankind. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul includes himself as one being saved. His conviction is that the message of the cross has the ability to speak to the human heart. 
to alter change and to give a basis for hope and life. Bishop Will Willimon said that when he was the chaplain of Duke University, he loved to meet with the young people and they discussed their encounters with the divine. He said a few Easter's ago, they were discussing the movie The Passion, The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Some had seen it and some hadn't, but even those who had seen it, some of those didn't like it and some did. But there was one boy who was involved in the discussion that said something like this. He said, I have a brother who's been away from the church for over a decade. He called me the other night and asked me if I knew a good church in the area. I was shocked. I asked him why. He said he had gone to that movie, The Passion. And he said he couldn't explain it, but something had happened to him in that movie that caused him to want to get back involved in the church. So according to Paul, there's great power in the cross. The cross is the message of God, the truth of God, the victory of God, the good news of God, and the love of God, all acted out in human history. The cross reveals our spiritual malignancy. The cross reveals our spiritual malignancy. Cancer, what a dreaded word. That word causes all kinds of despair and hopelessness. And we know the other word for cancer is the word malignant. Medically, the word malignant describes a tumor of potentially unlimited growth that expands, expands locally into adjoining tissue. It invades and spreads into other areas of the body. Left alone, a malignancy tends to infiltrate and metastasize throughout the body, causing death. No wonder the word cancer and malignant are such disheartening words. Now the Bible speaks and points out that the real problem is spiritual malignancy. Sin, our sin, all our sin. And left unchecked, it will spread throughout our body and it will affect every area of our lives and even the lives of those who are around us. And in an interview, Andrew Walls, a distinguished historian of world religions, said that all religions, basically, are still where they started. In other words, the center point of those religions is where they started. You take Islam. Islam started in Arabia, Mecca, and the Middle East is still the center of Islam. Buddhism started in the Far East, and the Far East is still the center of Buddhism. Hinduism started in India and is still preferential an Indian religion. But Christianity is vastly different. Christianity's center started in Jerusalem, but because of the Hellenistic Greeks, these unwashed barbarians who accepted Christianity in big force, the center shifted to the Hellenistic Mediterranean world. And it continues to shift and migrate and migrate and migrate. One scholar said that in the next 50 to 75 years, the center of Christianity will leave the European countries and the United States, and it will migrate again. It will migrate again. Somebody asked Mr. Walls why this happened. And this is what he said. He said, one must conclude, I think, that there is a certain vulnerability, a fragility at the heart of Christianity. You might say there is the vulnerability of the cross. But I don't want you to miss this next thing. He says that whenever Christianity is in a place of power and wealth for a long period, the radical message of sin and grace and the cross 
sometimes becomes muted or even lost. That may say a lot about what's happening in our country. I repeat, the Bible points out that the real problem is spiritual malignancy. Sin, our sin, all our sin. And left unchecked, it will spread everywhere. It will spread everywhere, including the people around us. Let us remember that the evil things which took Jesus to the cross were not abnormal and unfamiliar. These were familiar things. For instance, James Stewart, the great preacher, said self-interest in Caiaphas, fear in Pilate, impurity in Herod, anger and spite in the crowds. These were the things which coming in contact with this innocent one took him to the cross. This is to say that Jesus was crucified by ordinary things and ordinary people. All of us are in this together. Isaiah the prophet said, all of us are like sheep. We've gone astray our own way. The writer of 1 John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Paul, writing in Romans, said, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And speaking to a gathering of Methodists, Bishop Peter Weaver of the Boston area said that Methodist people were supposed to be involved in radical Christianity and they were supposed to be involved in transformational living. Then he pointed out the reasons why this is not the case with so many Methodists. In other words, he pointed out our sin. Our sin keeps us from being involved like this. He said, first of all, we're suffering from burnout. We grow tired in well-doing. He said, we're not only suffering from burnout, we're suffering from washout. We don't have a clear clarity of purpose like we once had. We're suffering from blackout. He said, we have amnesia, and we're not even aware of what it is we were brought here to do. During World War II, a famous French writer was called back into the service. He was called back into the French Air Force. And he was flying an unarmed observation mission, and a German flyer shot him down. The German flyer was in the process of working on his doctoral dissertation, and he was focused on this particular French writer and his works. In other words, he admired him so very much. And when he was told that he had shot down this French writer, he had a nervous breakdown. They had to put him into a psychiatric ward. And all he could say was, I've killed my master. I've killed my master. What does that spiritual say? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? The truth of the matter is, we were there. We were all there. The cross points out our spiritual malignancy. And then the cross reveals who God is deep down, deep down. It is probable that when the cross first happened, those people said, if God had been there, this never would have happened. If God had been there, this tragedy would never have happened. Jesus would never have died on the cross. But what those first Christians came to realize was that God was there at that cross as nowhere else. So Jesus did not die simply to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament. He did not die only as a human appeasement to an angry God. He died to point out the depth and the length of God's love for us. The cross is our best understanding of God's unending and unearned love that we experience. I want you to consider seriously what God did. God gave his, his son, his only son. Would you do that? 
Would you give up your child for somebody else? Would you kill your child for somebody else? I wouldn't. If somebody gave me a list to write down of the people for whom I would give my life's my, my child's life, there would be nobody on the list. I would give my life for some people, but in no circumstance would I give my child's life. And yet that's exactly what God did. God gave his child's life for every person who ever lived. It doesn't matter whether you are powerful or weak, whether you're successful or a failure, whether you're white, black, yellow, or whatever. God gave his son for you and your life. And that is so very important. Brandon Manning wrote a book called The Furious Loving of God. This is what he wrote in the introduction. I'm Brennan. I'm an alcoholic. How I got there, why I left there, why I went back is the story of my life. But it's not the whole story. I'm Brennan. I'm Catholic. How I got there, why I left there, why I went back is also the story of my life. But it's not the whole story. I'm Brennan. I was a priest, but I'm no longer a priest. I was a married man, but I'm no longer a married man. How I got to those places, why I left those places, is the story of my life too. But it's not the whole story. I'm Brennan. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's the larger and more important story. Only God in his fury knows the whole of it. Brennan says that in his 45 years of his ministry, the furious love of God has been the dominant theme of his life. So the cross doesn't simply point out humankind's weaknesses. The cross points out the everlasting, unmerited love of God, the depth and length of it in our behalf. Eddie Fox, who was the head of World Methodist Evangelism, said he was teaching a small group and said, he said, there's nothing any of you can do to earn your salvation. And one woman responded, nothing. He said, nothing. She said, nothing. He said, nothing. She said, then God help us. He said, you've got it. You've got it. When we could do nothing, God did in fact help us. Sir Alfred Lord Tennyson one day was visiting the home of some devout churchmen. And one day he came and asked his hostess, he said, what's the news? She said, why, Mr. Tennyson, I only know one bit of good news. Christ died for everybody. And immediately Tennyson said, that's old news, new news, and good news. So it is, so it ever shall be. Do you see the cross? That is God's eternal valentine written in your behalf. God's eternal valentine written in your behalf. Your behalf. How very important it is. And then thirdly, there's one other thing. The cross reveals the place of release. Years ago when I was riding around visiting places and pastoring churches, I would always hear this song over the radio. It would go something like this. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. That song always brought me great comfort. You know why? Because it reminded me that there's release at the cross. We can leave our sins at the cross. We can find forgiveness at the cross. We can leave our addictions at the cross. We can find freedom at the cross. We can find hope at the cross. We can find contentment at the cross. We can find all of these things at the cross. 
and how very important that is. There was an old sermon that I preached for years, and I always made this statement. The cross means we too have a victory. We have a victory over evil, over suffering, and over death, and we do. Now, if we had written this story, undoubtedly we would not have written it this way. God dying on a cross, no way, no way. But we didn't write the story. We were not asked to write the story. Somebody else wrote the story. We're simply asked to respond to the story. But we are asked to respond to the story. Jesus was on that hill. We know he was there. We know why he was there. We know what he left. He left scarred hands, a bloody side, and those kind of things. But what are we going to leave? What are we going to leave at the cross? That's the question. One of my minister friends, one of my favorite minister friends, mentioned several things we could leave. I want to mention some of these things and add my own thoughts to it. First of all, we can leave our bad moments. Our bad moments. A Terry woman said to her minister, I don't know why in the world I do the things I do. I crucify the people I love with what I say. I don't know why in the world I do that. So when we go to the cross, we can leave our bad moments. We can leave our mess-ups, our flops, and our failures. God doesn't just want to take those from us. He wants to transform us in the process. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can leave our bad moments. And then we can leave our mad moments. Our mad moments. I read a story about a, a man who was bitten by a dog, and they said the dog had rabies. Immediately he started making a list. The doctor said, hey, we can cure rabies. You don't have to make out your will. He said, oh, I'm not making out my will. I'm making out a list of the people I want to bite. Sometimes we all have a list of people we want to bite, don't we? Friends don't always act the way we think they should. Neighbors sometimes cause us difficulty. Marriages don't always work the way they should. We have problems, and sometimes we want to make a list. But then Paul says, love is not irritable or resentful. So God wants us to leave our mad moments, not only our bad moments, but our mad moments at the cross. The third thing we can leave at the cross are our anxious moments. Our anxious moments. Here's the secret of grace. In ten words, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us. God is for us. God is for us. God is for us. Any way you look at it, God is for us, and that's the secret of grace. We can leave our anxious moments. The same one who secured our future on the cross is with us present in our lives, even at this moment. And then we can leave our final moments. If Christ does not come first, all of us will face a final moment. But what God wants us to do is leave our concerns about our final moments at the cross. God wants us to leave it right there. And so... Paul tells us that neither life nor death, nor height nor depth, nor power, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The hymn writer put it this way, I must needs go home by the way of the cross, for there's no other way but this. There's a place in London, England called Charing Cross, 
One day a little boy got lost. An English Bobby found him and said, Son, could you tell us where you live? The little boy looked at him and said, I can't tell you where I live, but if you'll take me to the cross, I think I can find my way home from there. If you'll take me to the cross, if you'll take me to the cross, I think I can find my way home from there. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for your willingness to sacrifice your son. We are grateful that you loved us enough and we are grateful that Jesus loved us enough. And we are grateful now that you call us to love others on your behalf. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful. Help us, O oh God, to be mindful of the cross. And it also be mindful that you call us to take up our own crosses and to follow you. Thank you again for this opportunity of being together. Bless those who are a part of this service this evening. And make them all a blessing. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us. I trust that you'll be with us next week at the same time. Good night. Yeah.